0: Hello, and welcome to NGO Solon Strategy, the podcast for NGO leaders and managers who look change right in the eye. My name is Tosca Bruno van Vijfheijken, and I'm the founder and principal consultant at Five Oaks Consulting. I have over three decades of experience helping leaders in civil society and philanthropic organizations manage change, invest in cutting-edge leadership development, lead organizational culture change, and strengthen organizational effectiveness. If you are in an international civil society leadership position or are aspiring to grow towards that, this podcast is for you. Hello, everybody. We are back with another episode in our series on change management in... The podcast NGO Soul and Strategy. And today I am talking with Ed Boswell. Ed is the co founder and CEO at Connor Advisory, and he'll tell us in a moment a little bit about Connor Advisory. Uh, I first saw Daryl Connor and Ed at uh, an interaction NGO retreat a number of years ago and was very impressed by by the thoroughness of their approach. And I also noted, as I was getting ready for this podcast, that Ed is a strategic advisor at the Neuroleadership Institute, whose work I really appreciate. Uh, before Ed and Daryl started their work with INGOs as Connor Advisory, Ed was a partner uh, at Price Waterhouse Cooper uh, in the U.S. People and Change practice. And he retired from there, I think... I scrambled the name of PwC. Can you correct me, Ed?
1: No, that's right. PricewaterhouseCoopers.
0: I did have it right. Okay, good. And I also note that, um, university, that Ed has a PhD in psychology at the University of Pennsylvania and a certificate in business administration from the Wharton School. And um, it was really fun, Ed, to see as I was uh, reminding myself of your profile on LinkedIn that we have literally almost 100 people in common that are in our in our our respective networks. So yeah, so welcome to to this episode. Um, What I'd like to do is, since you have a background in consulting both with private sector senior leaders as well as with INGO senior leaders in the last five years or so, um, I'd like you from time to time compare your your experiences when it comes to change management. So let's um, get going. So change management is a, is a pretty vague term, I think, for a lot of people. How would you define it um, in organizations and how has it shown up in your work, both in the private sector, in the 30 years of experience you've had, as well as in the INGO sector in the last five to 10 years? Yeah.
1: Well, first off, I've really been looking forward to this conversation. So thank you for inviting me to um, to speak to your audience.
0: You're welcome.
1: I think uh, before I define change management, I'd I'd like to widen our lens a little bit, Tosca, and talk about the larger context that change management sits in. Um, the bigger context is. Uh, change execution or strategy execution. You know whether that new change is a, a a new technology that an organization is implementing, or a new campaign to raise money, or a new program to be implemented in the field. So that larger domain is change execution, and it involves many disciplines like project planning, project management, risk management, and of course change management. So change management, I think the the I'm not going to give you the academic uh, answer. I'm going to give you the the Ed Boswell uh, a definition of, of how, yeah, how how? Thank you. How I've grown to appreciate it. It's so. It's it's all about the people side of change. What we've known, and I've I've been working with senior leaders since the um, early '80s as they were implementing large uh, changes, and th- there was a there was a real frustration that everything seemed to be going just fine except for these darn people that are involved you know it's the it's the other leaders it's the uh, staff employees donors you know they're slowing down this brilliant plan and so change management is a relatively recent discipline uh it's it's only really emerged in the last four decades or so and and again it was in response to Leaders, whether they're in the public, private, or civil society sectors, who are saying, "Hey, you know, we're 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 frustrated that we're not able to implement change as quickly and as effectively as we'd like," and so a number of professionals from various backgrounds, psychology, like my background, got together and started to really study how human beings respond to change. Um, we, we have a very complex relationship as human beings to change. Um, we, we love some change and we absolutely abhor other change. You know, we love mm-hmm. the change that we select. We don't always like change that's being imposed on us. So the the field of change management is, is really, it's a set of disciplines that allows leaders to do three things, I think. Number one, better prepare. Uh, The the targets of the change, whether it's the employees or other leaders or donors or whomever, it's to better prepare those human beings, those groups, to um, accept the change. Secondly, change management helps equip those individuals in those groups, whether it's uh, knowledge, skills, tools, mindsets, whatever they actually need in order to effectively implement the change and last but not least change management helps us understand what do we need to do to support human beings once they're in this transition from you know the current state to a future state um, what what are all the mechanisms that we can put in place um, to support them in the near term as they go through that change because change is always a little bit stressful um, but also the long term how do we make sure that the change sticks and it's sustainable So that's the way I look at change management. It's about better preparing, equipping, and supporting people who are going through a transition.
0: Mm, That's a very neat um, um, definition. I I like it. And um, one thing that you mentioned immediately, of course, the people side, that is one reason for me why change management is so interesting. Between the people side and the power side, I think those two things, if I'm really boiling it down and being in some ways, of course, overly simplistic, but that's what makes this field uh, for me so interesting. And I'm noting immediately, and I've noted that before, that when Daryl and you um, do presentations, you uh, put a lot of emphasis on this word um, execution. So I'm going to come back to that in in the next uh, couple of questions. Sure. So as you have been supporting senior leaders, both in the private sector as well as in INGOs, um, when it comes to the kind of what I call sometimes the art and science of change management, meaning there are some, you know, uh, principles and concepts and tools, and we'll return in this episode to those as well later, Um, but there's also an an art to it. Uh, It's not all that, that precise. As you have been doing that work, what for you as a consultant has been most rewarding in supporting leaders? And what has been most, as a consultant again, uh, been most trying or frustrating? Uh, not so much what is most complex because God knows change management is very complex, at least I think it is. And I always have so much appreciation for the leaders in the NGOs that uh, I support in my work for what they have to pull off. But uh, what is most rewarding for you and what is most trying about this type of work? Um, well,
1: first off, thank you for the question. I haven't thought about that in a long time and I'm glad you raised it. But Um, I have to say that every morning when I get up, I am so grateful. Um, And and I know my partner, Daryl, feels the same way. He and I came together about five years ago, a little more than five years ago. And after extensive careers, primarily in the private and public sector consulting, we decided really to devote our lives to supporting leaders whose organizations are pursuing changes that matter. Changes that can significantly enhance the quality of human life, um, in this in this period and for generations to come. And so we're grateful, just you know, to have that opportunity. and And I think that is what I've been most most proud of, most uh, thankful for, is the opportunity to work with uh, really some amazing men and women in the in civil society who have. Decided to really devote their lives to, to to some kind of mission, to some kind of cause. In fact, many of them, of course, find it to be a calling, uh, as you know, because of, mm. of your work. Um, but it's so it's it's so gratifying, but also humbling to work with these people as they struggle to implement changes within their organizations. I find that um, there's just this unbelievable opportunity right now, Tosca. Um, and so I'm going to speak as a consultant here, because you've asked mm-hmm. me to respond as a consultant. I've I've worked with sector after sector after sector, uh, in primarily in the private sector. It could be the financial sector, the life sciences, uh, entertainment and media, technology, whatever. And a lot of those sectors have gone through major transformations major disruptions i mean those sectors have been turned upside down think about what amazon has done to the retail sector so that has happened again and again in my lifetime is working with leaders um, right now you and i are working with leaders in civil society that are experiencing um, a number of disruptions that seem to have all reached uh, you know a crescendo uh, mm-hmm. right now. And so it's, it's a sector that is just amazingly competent and adept at creating change in the world. When you think of all of the advances over the last few decades of, you know, around nutrition, around health, around human rights, around, you know, you, you, you go down the list from all the metrics that the UN is 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 tracking and we've we've made great strides. This sector has made such great strides. They've really changed the world for the better. There's more work to be done, granted, but but the irony is that because we've been so successful as INGOs, we're not always as adept at creating change within our organizations. And so what I'm most grateful for these days is to have that opportunity to you know sit side by side with these really committed, mission-driven leaders, who are—they realize they need to adapt uh, to a new set of conditions in the world, um, but they're not always as um, uh, fluent or facile in creating that kind of inter- internal change the way they are with external change. So that's that's a that's a partial answer, mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. you can tell that I'm—I really feel passionately about it, and uh, it's definitely been a calling.
0: You know. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more with you. Um, in fact, I have said um, uh, one time to to an organization, I was struck with how adept, as you said, um, that organization was about the question of how change happens externally in the world, but not nearly as uh, inclined to think that that organization should also apply some of these techniques and strategies and tactics inside. And I thought that was really, really interesting. So you've talked about what you find most rewarding Let's talk a little bit about where you see some of the uh, things that you find sometimes, whether they're blind spots, when it comes to change management mindsets and skill sets, et cetera, understandings in the senior leaders you work with, or um, where you, you, you find the sector struggling, not just in its capacity, as you indicated, for change management, but maybe also in some specific ways. Can you talk about that? I can.
1: Um, You know, one of the things that so it's wonderful to work with a partner because whenever there is a uh, uh, an organization that we have the opportunity to support, um, my partner Daryl and I have a conversation, and the conversation is about is is this an organization, and more specifically, is this a leader that we really feel that we can help? Uh, We can help them realize the intent of what they're trying to, you know, accomplish. Um, and and it's a really useful uh, conversation because it, it keeps us out of trouble. It, 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 it means that we we're only going to take on work that we really really believe we can make a difference. One of those components that we talk about, though, is the predisposition of the leader of that organization or the leaders, as, as the case may be, uh, because we find that... Um, it is, it is a waste of time and money to try to support a leader who frankly wants to change their organization but they are not interested in changing themselves. Uh-huh. And there's no way you can ask other people to completely transform you know their mindsets, their behavior, shift the culture. If yeah. you as a leader, aren't open that, open to that yourself. And so I think that one of the struggles that uh, Daryl and I uh, uh, encounter, and I'm, I'm being very open with you and, and your listeners here, is that we, we, we try our hardest to vet our clients to make sure that it's a good match and that we're working with someone who is open to, ch- to introspection and to change themselves. But sometimes we get it wrong. And, and that's, that's a struggle. That's a disappointment because we feel like on the one hand, we've wasted their time and money. They really weren't interested in changing. We've certainly, you know, wasted our precious time on this planet uh, pursuing something that wasn't really going to make a difference. So I would say that, you know, Mm. that, that's, that's one of those struggles that we have is to constantly be vigilant about, are we in fact the right match for this leader? And is this leader, does he or she have that, predisposition to, yeah. check. we call don't... it, you know, it's, it's funny, we're exploring this we're, we're we kind of call it the mission before me or me before the mission phenomenon. Um, and if we have time, I'd, I'd love to talk a little about it. But simply put, um, we're looking for leaders who always put the mission first, and they put their own needs and concerns. Second, but occasionally we get it wrong (laughs) and we Mm -hmm. run into a leader who is putting themselves first, either their own comfort or their own power status or whatever. And that's what gets in the way because they're putting that in front of the mission.
0: Yeah. And it's funny that you say that because uh, I actually um, started this podcast uh, recently with as intended audience, the leader as learner, as my colleague Catherine Gerard at the Maxwell school calls it with the thinking that, um, she asked the questions, how can organizations learn and including learn to change, right? If right. the leader cannot learn themselves. So I, I I resonate very much with what you said. I've noticed in your presentations uh, that there's uh, quite a bit of emphasis on strategy and and on on execution and you just now said talked mm-hmm. again about realizing the intent mm-hmm. that is something when I first was exposed to um, to your body of work that I hadn't seen other um, change management specialists talk so much about mm-hmm. especially in the INGO sector Tell me more why that is so important to Daryl and you
1: well I'll link it to this this um The difference between installing a change and realizing a change. Um, Simply put, an intent is what you hope to accomplish by implementing this change or this strategy. Uh, It's it's what you think the world will look like because you did what you did, for instance. Um, And um, if you'll indulge me, I'll I'll give you a a real example from the private sector, a big project I worked on. It was my last project Mm -hmm. before Daryl and I started Connor Advisory. Um, It was a very large professional services company. It was international, had several hundred thousand employees, and they had decided wisely, I think, that they needed to change their technology platform, the platforms that they used for email, for creating documents and presentations, spreadsheets, et cetera, et cetera. So the, 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 the technology they had in place had been wonderful in 1991. But in 2014, not so much. Mm. Um, And so they needed to change. And so I was asked to, to help with the change management expert. And for the first nine months, everything was going really, really well. We were doing... Job number one, we were communicating to these hundreds of thousands of people all around the world that a decision has been made. We're going to upgrade our technology. We're going to finally be in the 21st century. I have to say that our younger employees were thrilled because (laughs) they thought Mm. we were really old technology. So, and, you know, everyone was generally positive. And so, for the nine months in the run up to turning that technology on, we did a wonderful job of communicating to people, creating excitement scheduling training programs offering you know 24/7 support so that you know when we turned on the the system and they logged on for the first time and they had any trouble they knew who to call you know they knew where to get get all the help mm-hmm. and so nine months later we turn the switch on and guess what happens actually everything works it's like a big non-event that technology is working just fine except for a few people have Trouble with passwords or understanding how you open a a document. You know, generally it was a success. But all we had done is installed the change. The intent of the change was to actually radically transform the culture of this professional services company. They wanted to create a culture that was more innovative, more entrepreneurial, uh, more collaborative. much more free thinking, more risk taking, because this was an organization that had been founded in the middle of the 19th century. It Mm -hmm. was very conservative and very risk averse. And so the intent of this new technology was to be a trigger, a catalyst for a massive cultural change. And so all of those change management activities around communication and training those first nine months, those were all necessary, but they were not sufficient in really accomplishing the end result, which is to make this organization a more competitive organization because it was seen as innovative and creative and collaborative, et cetera, that sort of thing. So that's the distinction we make between installing a change, which is necessary but not sufficient, and then realizing the intent, which is to fully realize in a sustainable way all of the impact that you want the change to have on the organization, on the world, on the markets, whatever. Is that, that distinction Yes,
0: yes, I, I understand. And I think it was helpful that you uh, gave us that, that concrete example. So let me turn in the last 10 minutes or so that we have to um, the topic of what kind of frameworks, tools, concepts when it comes to change management do you find most helpful? And I, we all know that... Organizational change processes, particularly is they, if they are at the level of the whole of organization, are, have many facets. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but are there particular frameworks, tools, or concepts that you have found to be very helpful in addition to um, the distinction that you just made about that difference between installing change and realizing the intent of the change?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and, you're, and you're right. There are numerous methodologies, tools, and techniques that are out there. And they're they're all pretty strong because again, this discipline has now matured, you know, over the last yeah. four decades or so. Um and and we we have our own framework. We call it the strategy execution framework. Uh but um what what I'd like to what I'd like to focus on though and is our work has really gravitated towards working with senior leaders so that they can develop first and foremost for themselves the clarity of, around what, what change they, they, they believe they need to, to make in the organization. Because unless the, the, the leader or the group of, it's often a group of leaders, mm-hmm. it has a really deep understanding of not only what they're trying to accomplish, that is the intent and how they're going to do it and when they're going to do it. They also really need to understand why they're doing it. And we see oftentimes, you know, 25, 30 page strategy documents or change documents, they're beautiful, they're well thought through. But at the end of the day, there still hasn't been this deep, shared understanding at the leadership level Why are we doing this? And and again, how are you going to hold ourselves accountable to realize that intent? So, we spend a lot of time with leaders and their teams helping them get clear on that because the next big duty and obligation of a sponsor of change, and I'm going to shift my language here because the sponsor could be the top person or it could Mm -hmm. be someone in the field, you know, in a village doing, you know, program work. Whoever the sponsor is, wherever in the organization, once they're clear about the intent of the change and how they will achieve that intent, their first obligation is to create clarity among the people that that have to actually implement or or execute that change. Um, I did. Uh, I was. I, I sponsored. I sponsored research about a decade ago, which we published in a in a book called Strategic Speed and. We were looking for the predictors for why is it that some organizations seem to be able to execute or implement so much uh, more effectively and quickly than other organizations. And the number one predictor was the degree of clarity that the sponsor could create throughout the organization, again, on what the change is, why it's important, and what intent, what successful realization of the intent looks like. So that was the first predictor. And we find that in general, um, and this is across all sectors, by the way, this is not specific to civil society. It happens in the private and public sector. Leaders tend to underestimate the effort that they need to invest in creating that clarity. In engaging the organization in a dialogue, a robust dialogue um, around, you know, what are we, what are we trying to achieve? One organization in this sector that I, ha- I have to say, I think they've set the gold standard. They decided on a very radical new strategy three years ago, a little over three years ago. They had their global board approve it. They announced it. They launched it. They have spent the last three years having an ongoing dialogue with all of their staff and volunteers up and down the organization and across the federation because it's a federation like a lot of large international NGOs are yeah uh, they've they've engaged people in 3 years of dialogue looking at various aspects of the strategy and the change everything from new mindsets and behaviors to specific Programs that will be expanded or might be cut, areas that they will invest in, areas they won't invest in. So I think they've done a wonderful job of taking this um, goal of creating deep clarity around the change. They've really taken it to heart because let's face it, you can't ask people to embrace or commit to a change unless they understand it. Otherwise, you're just getting compliance and it's very superficial and it'll go away if something else comes along to disrupt that. So to get get the kind of sustainable commitment, the change in mindsets, the change in behaviors, the kind of, you know, to have any chance of realizing your intent, you have to really invest um, quite a bit in creating that clarity. And it's not a once and done kind of thing because lo and behold, the world evolves, the world changes and since this organization that I mentioned a moment ago mm-hmm. proved their strategy three years ago. Guess what? They've learned a lot about, about their, as they implement it. In fact, you, you mentioned your, your former colleague uh, talking about learning and learning organization. One of my good friends at Harvard, Amy Edmondson, you might, you probably know Amy. She yes. talks about execution as learning, you know, execution is a series of hypotheses that you're testing and some things work and some things don't, but all things help you understand better about how your organization and how the world is working. And so that's the reason that creating clarity isn't something you do at the beginning of change and say, okay, we've done that, now we get on to the other task. It's it's an ongoing um, effort from beginning to end.
0: Wonderful, I I would so easily talk quite a long time still with you but we have to bring this episode to an end so let me ask you for the benefit of our our listeners if people want to learn more about you Ed where should they go where can they find out about you
1: What we are doing over the past couple of years is publishing our insights, um, as well as interviews and white papers um, on our website. So that would be connoradvisory.com, And if you go in the tab that's called insights, uh, there we've collected, as I said, white papers, um, interviews, um, podcasts, and the like. And our commitment to not only our clients, but really to the sector and to our colleagues like you is to constantly cultivate or curate these insights that we're gathering from our experience and putting them out there not that this is the truth that we're the but but these are our insights these are our experiences what do you think so we'd really encourage your listeners to read read these papers and come back to us and say does it resonate or no it doesn't resonate that's not your experience that's the only way that we as Absolutely, and evolving and, and
0: growing grow. is what what we all need to keep doing. So great, and I imagine uh, that people can also find you on LinkedIn. We'll put that uh, information in the show notes. Is the book that you mentioned, Strategic Speed, is that still available?
1: It is Harvard Business Press. Um, so I can also send you the details on that, and you can post it along with this other information. That would be I cool. would.
0: I would like you to do it. Thank you so much, Ed, for the insights you gave today. I look forward to having uh, future chats like this.
1: Thank you. And thanks for your questions.
0: Thanks for listening to NGO Soul Strategy. If you want to learn more, have a look at my website, fiveoaksconsulting.org, where you will find posts on topics related to what we discussed today. That's five, as in the number five, oaksconsulting.org. You can also find free white papers there, recordings of interviews with me, as well as information about the upcoming book Between Power and Irrelevance, The Future of Transnational NGOs, of which I'm a co-author. And which will be published in June, 2020. Or feel free to email me at tosca at fiveoaksconsulting.org and follow me on my social media channels, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. And be sure to leave a review on iTunes or any of the places where you get your podcasts so that others can find it too. So until we talk again, this is Tosca at NGO Soul & Strategy, the podcast for leaders who look change right in the eye.